0: after a way too long hiatus sports Tate returns this week with the newest episode and oh boy look at that almost four months a little over four months that took welcome back thanks for tuning in to the uh surely long awaited and highly anticipated return of sports tape as everybody knows uh, sometimes life gets in the way and I'm very glad to be back here doing it this week though there's been so much going on and i do want to emphasize though that it Doing this podcast, I wanted it to be a little bit different, and it's hard to do that in a lot of instances. There's one million podcasts out there, sports-related, that are all pretty reactionary, and I don't like that. I don't want this to become the idea that a game happened last night or a big event happened yesterday or last weekend, and I need to jump on and record my thoughts on it. If you want that, there's about one million people who do that to varying degrees of quality. There's daily sports radio, there's daily podcasts for sports, there's television. There's all of those avenues that can give you that in a quicker time frame. I don't want to be talking about an Antonio Brown possible arrest or an Instagram video he posts and then release this episode a week later. The news cycle is just too fast. That's not what I want to do. My main goal here was to make this a larger scope type of podcast. I have a lot of ideas or a lot of thoughts on the bigger bigger issues facing uh, sports leagues, facing the NCAA, uh, varying issues regarding certain teams that we've dug into. Uh, I enjoy the idea and the business and the scope of the sport itself rather than just reactionary, I can't believe so-and-so scored 40 points. So that's the goal here, and that's what we're going to do with this Uh, reincarnated version of sports tate. I used to try to get to two big ideas or two thoughts that I would have in each episode. I might tone that down to one. I want, I want to be able to give all of my thoughts and not feel like I need to get to a second idea because I, I teased it at the start and then end up having to rush through it. I don't want to do that. It's going to be more of a long-form monologue here, which it always has been, but on one thought, and then we'll de- uh, we'll sprinkle in some thoughts on maybe some other stuff towards the end of each episode. So going forward, these should be every other week. There should be no reason that this is not released every other week on schedule there, uh, just on your regular feed this, that you get the Steve and Kyle podcast on. So uh, be sure to spread the word, Sports Tate Returns. Again, I hate that name. I blame Steve for... Every bit of it, and one day I will shed the wet blanket that is the name Sports Tape. But I wanted to get into something today that's been kind of weighing on me quite a bit recently, and it's regarding Major League Baseball. Uh, And the general thought that I wrote down when I started thinking this through and kind of thinking my takeout was that Major League Baseball has a huge problem that they, they really can't address. There's no logical way to address it. And no, I'm not talking about the sign-stealing scandal or video replay. Again, I don't want this thing to be reactionary. Months may go by, and then I'll decide to do kind of a retrospective on that sign-stealing scandal and the issues facing the Houston Astros and the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball as a whole. But for this week, there's a lot of things going on in baseball in the offseason that need to be addressed that show a game that is stronger than it was 15 years ago but in a real danger of isolating an overwhelming majority of its fan base. Now, Major League Baseball is getting older. Their fan base is getting older. There's no secret about that. The average fan watching a baseball game is the oldest fan of the four major sports. Now, the NBA is the youngest. The NFL has the most and crosses all the wide swath. And the NHL is simply the smallest audience. But baseball is America's pastime. And we're watching it have this slow decline after ebbs and flows of about 20 years. The the, the 1994 strike damn near crippled baseball, Major League Baseball. They ended up coming back, getting much stronger, obviously with the height of the, I would say, the Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa home run race, followed by the Barry Bonds home run chase of Hank Aaron and the single season record there the steroid era. Honestly, the steroid era. Baseball has had ebbs and flows, and then you went into the dead ball era. And now the last year or two, you have pitchers and hitters alike saying something's different about the baseballs as we're back to smacking some of the most home runs in Major League Baseball history, which is crazy to think about considering the steroid era, that these last few years have been the biggest home run years in baseball history. But that again, that is not the problem that I want to address today that I want to talk about the problem. Baseball has, and I would say it's, it's similar, maybe more so than other sports is there is a very, very big market gap. They have a lot of issues being able to draw and keep stars at about, I would say 25 of the 30 major league baseball teams. You have teams doing it different ways. You have the Houston Astros who tanked and tanked successfully for a long time to garner draft picks, and it led them to a World Series title, and it led them to two uh, two World Series appearances in three years. But then you have teams like the Dodgers, who didn't do a ton of building. Now, they have some homegrown talent that's very, very good. Cody Bellinger comes to mind. But they've bought a lot of their pieces, and that's the easy thing to do when you're the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's easy to do when you're the New York Yankees. Hypothetically it should be easy to do when you're the New York Mets if you weren't owned by some of the worst ownership in all of sports. But you see the even the Los Angeles Angels are spending money. The point being there's such a separation right now between the top and even the middle. I'm not talking about the top and the bottom. In every sport there's going there has to be a top and a bottom. You see that in every league, you see the way teams are rebuilding and trying to save salary. Well, in baseball there's no salary cap. If you're at the bottom and you're consistently at the bottom, the fingers need to be pointed at you because there's no there's no rational way you can blame the rest of the league when you simply don't want to spend any money. I'm looking at you Pittsburgh Pirates, I'm looking at you Miami Marlins, and as I talked about very long form in one of the first episodes of this podcast, I'm looking at you the Detroit Tigers. But those teams all have one thing in common. Spending money might not be the long-term solution for them. Would it help? Very probably. But they're never going to be able to spend at the level that the New York Yankees spend, or that the Dodgers spend, that the Angels spend, that the Cubs spend, that the Red Sox spend. The major market teams have a clear advantage over the middle market teams. And I'm talking middle market cities I just mentioned to you Detroit that's not a small market team we're not talking about Tampa Bay who can't draw a crowd and can't build a new stadium okay we're not talking about Kansas City who they even won a World Series not that long ago building through the draft and building through free agency and spending a little bit of money that's not the point the point is that this gap has never been a bigger issue than it is now and as we enter a day and age, in not just baseball, but basketball and football, uh, and we haven't seen it as much in hockey, but we're entering a day and age in modern professional sports of player empowerment. Something like we've never seen, where a player who might be a star in his own town by the name of Nolan Arenado. Now, I would argue 95 out of 100 people. You could walk past Nolan Arenado in the supermarket and he would be wearing a Nolan Arenado jersey, and you wouldn't have a damn clue that was Nolan Arenado. Now, I don't want you know the five out of the hundred of you going, I would, I would. That's not the point. The point is the overwhelming majority of the population has no idea who some of these players are. And there's Nolan Arenado demanding a trade out of the Colorado Rockies, the face of that franchise, fresh off the heels of a contract extension worth a lot of money. And he wants his, He wants out. And where do we think Nolan Arenado wants to go? You think Nolan Arenado is going to force himself into the Tampa Bay Rays, a small market team who still made the playoffs with their limited funds, their limited reach in terms of being able to draw free agents. Still made the playoffs. Very good. A very good team. Perennially good. Perennially good. Baseball team. No. Nolan Arenado wants, is going to want to go to the Dodgers. He's going to want to go to the Yankees or the Red Sox or a big team that can spend the money and draw a star power, whatever you consider that to be in terms of a baseball player. This market gap is going to only have negative effects as it continues to deepen as players line up to essentially line the coasts, the West Coast and the East Coast respectively of baseball. The Kansas Cities and the Minnesotas and the Tampa Bays, the Colorados, are going to be the teams that suffer for this. You have stars that go to teams. uh, This isn't a foolproof idea that that I'm laying out here. You have a Josh Donaldson who went to the Minnesota Twins. Well, Josh Donaldson's a star in that he's won a former MVP, but he's also 34 or 35 years old. You have a Miguel Cabrera who was traded to the Detroit Tigers from the Marlins for what ended up being peanuts, signed an extension with Detroit because he wasn't going to get that type of money anywhere else, nowhere else. And here we are staring down the barrel of an early 40 something, Miguel Cabrera, trying to smack a baseball out of the infield. And even if he does, it's a coin toss if he's going to make it to first base before the throw gets in. That's the alternative. These middle market teams, if they do decide to pony up, they have to pay up a lot more than other than other teams would have to just to draw the stars there. And it's a problem that I don't know how to solve. That's why I, you know, I I'm not coming to this uh, podcast with a solution. I don't know, unless you want to have some form of a, a hard salary cap, which doesn't seem to be on the table. And we'll get to the other issues Major League Baseball is facing that are probably more pertinent coming up here in a, in a few moments. But without something along the lines of limiting what teams and owners can spend, these middle market teams are going to be incredibly few and far between in terms of being competitive. The Cleveland Indians in 2016 were in the world series. Now they didn't win. They're the American league champions. And now as we enter 2020, 2020, There's a lot of forecasts of them being second or third in their own division. They're Cleveland. What can they do? They had a flash in the pan. It didn't work out. They can't really improve. They're kind of hand strung by what they have financially, what they have to offer free agents. It's tough. Baseball is among the toughest sports to build a dynasty in. You can see it in basketball. You've seen the Miami Heat, the San Antonio Spurs, the Golden State Warriors. For the better part of 40 years, basketball has been kind of ridden by dynasties, dating all the way back to the Boston Celtics, the Lakers after that. Football, obviously the New England Patriots. The Pittsburgh Steelers have won three world championships in the last 20 years. All of these sports, it's, it's much more possible to have a bit of a dynasty. But in baseball, it's so hard to keep that going and so hard to continue that stretch of winning throughout a course of 162 games every year plus best of series in the playoffs and come out on top. The closest we've come is the New York Yankees. And that dynasty ended uh, more than a decade ago. So baseball is in a real... A real spot of being in flux right now is the best way I can put it as they enter labor negotiations uh, coming up very soon. Speaking of the labor negotiations, I want to talk about what seems to be a real sticking point between kind of the old guard and the new guard. But really, when you look at it, to talk about splitting hairs would be doing a disservice to splitting hairs about what they're trying to do to do to solve this issue in Major League Baseball. That is the length of the games. Now, I mentioned the old guard. You have these older baseball fans who seem hell-bent that it does not matter how long a game is. It doesn't matter. Three hours, four hours, three and a half hours. It doesn't matter. You're there for the experience. Baseball's an experience, they say, and that nothing needs to change. Now, obviously, there's a lot of higher-ups, executives, and whatnot who seem to think, well, that's just not true. As we lose a lot of the younger fan base, we need to adapt. Things need to change. We need to get these games under control and make them a manageable watch. As basketball gets closer to two hours than it does to three hours in terms of game time, you need to be able to consume these events in a lot quicker fashion in 2019, 2020, and going forward. That's the way that the younger fan wants to consume sports. Again, football appears to be an outlier. Uh, People do complain about the game times, but football appears to be impervious to this idea that they need to hurry up. But In fairness, football has 16 of those in the regular season. Baseball, you're doing 162 of them before you can even get to the playoffs. So you see these differing opinions and the solutions brought about to try to close the gap and make these games more manageable and reasonable for television viewing and for attending. But these solutions are band-aids on a leaking rowboat. None of them make sense. None of them uh, actually put a dent in what the real issue is. We're talking about a pitch clock. And there's players and there's the older generation acting like we're forsaking that everything baseball's ever been about. The biggest benefit of a pitch clock is probably two to three minutes per game. That's it. Is that the difference that fans are looking for? Well, it was three hours and five minutes last year. Three hours and two minutes sure felt really swift this year. No, there needs to be wholesale changes to keep those game times under two hours and 50 minutes. Really, you need to shave, you know, 10% off of these game times. There's no there's no question around it. It's not going to rebound at the pace these games move in an era in baseball where it's home runs and strikeouts and that's it. Nobody's bunting over to second or third base. Nobody's trying to, you know, sacrifice fly. No, they're swinging for the fences. And that's horrible for TV viewing. You can go innings at a time without seeing a hit. Nobody wants to watch that. Nobody. So they're talking about a pitch clock. Okay, that's one of them. They're talking about making the batter stay in the batter's box and you can't readjust your gloves. That's great. That's fine. That's another, let's call it two minutes a game. We're up to five minutes a game just in terms of game time. That's not enough. That's not a needle mover. It's an issue that Major League Baseball and its owners are trying to dance around because they don't want to upset the the union and the players association. Well, instead, all they've done is refuse to fix the problem. Now, I think this is going to become contentious when the negotiations continue here for the next labor agreement because the owners know something needs to change. As their pocketbooks become a little lighter based on slowing attendance, based on slowing and declining viewership on television and radio, they know something needs to change. And a bullpen cart is not it. Players don't use it. Wasn't going to save that much time anyway. They need wholesale changes. Now, whether that's shortening innings, spotting a runner if it's a route. Uh, or or a runaway game whatever it may be the games in baseball need to be shortened I'm not the only one to say that obviously but there hasn't been anything out there that is actually making me go oh okay that actually might solve a problem or at least point us in the right direction of solving the problem lastly what I wanted to get to this week before we start uh, before I close up shop here was the major issue that I've it's been That's been in the news, and it's been in the news for a little while. Had a little time to marinate, and it's getting a lot of pushback, mostly on the local level. And that is Major League Baseball owners deciding one of the ways to fix those light pocketbooks that they're noticing by closing up shop 42 minor league baseball teams. Now, this is one of the silliest ideas I can imagine. There's no benefits. It's the first thing I wrote down. This all adds up to one thing. There's one reason and one one reason only why minor league baseball should shutter 42 of its minor league affiliates that feed directly to the major league baseball, the, the, uh, the big clubs. And it's simply to line the pocketbooks of owners. Minor league baseball has been exposed in recent years for underpaying their minor league players, whether they're drafted or whether they're undrafted, whether they're brought over from you know Cuba or the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, the living wage that they receive for playing minor league baseball is not sufficient. So you have 17-year-olds coming over playing baseball for three months for the equivalent of eight to $10,000 and then having nothing to do and obviously not enough money to survive. There was the video of the Minnesota Twins pitcher last year in the playoffs. A playoff starting pitcher being harassed by Yankees fans because he was a rideshare driver in spring training before he even received a spot in the Minnesota Twins roster. That's patently absurd. There's one reason only that minor league baseball would have to lose 42 teams in a quote-unquote realignment that's been discussed by the commissioner, Rob Manfred. And it's greed. That's it. It's plain and simple. It's, a, it's an old adage. It's classic. And frankly, there's no other way to look at this. We're talking about billionaire owners who own teams that are profitable to varying degrees, obviously, but there's not a lot of baseball franchises losing, losing money overall. It's, it's hard to do. They simply want a higher margin on those checks at the end of the year. They don't want to have to pay to support facilities, to support staffing, to support the payrolls of typically five minor league franchises per major league franchise. You usually have a single A, a high A, high single A, a double A, a triple A, and then some type of short season baseball for younger rookies to go play in. And then they can take the winner off before beginning their professional career. The idea is that these owners can save themselves money. That's it. They don't want to have to pay to run these things. There's no good reason. Minor league baseball as a whole in 2019 saw nearly a 3% attendance increase. 3%. They're not worrying about TV deals. They don't have to pay broadcasters for the most part. They have a play-by-play guy that'll usually play on the local airwaves so you can listen along as you'd like. But here we are, and Rob Manfred wants us to feel bad for the Wilpons of the New York Mets so they can shutter a franchise or not be affiliated with them and have to support them financially. Or the players. They want us to feel bad for uh, the owners of the Dodgers who have a payroll exceeding $200 million because they can't support two double-A or two single-A teams. Heck, they even want you to feel bad for the Illich family, who owned the Detroit Tigers, the worst team in baseball, possibly the worst team in in baseball history the last few years. They want you to feel bad for those billionaires so they can close down their double-A franchise in Erie. No, I'm not going to sit here and say that these are institutions that are holding up a local economy. For the most part, they're not, but they contribute, and they're positive contributors to local economies. It's not like if, you know, the Cleveland Browns bolted to Baltimore overnight. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are talking about big facilities, expansive facilities and stadiums that would, for the better part of a year now, sit empty. Even a lot of these teams and, and stadiums that only bring in whatever it is, is, two to 4000 a night. Maybe I'm being generous in that regard. That's still a positive. That's a net positive for these Major League franchises. A Major League franchise that I talked about earlier is having trouble building any type of star power. They just don't exist out there. And now you want to take away the ability for a lot of younger fans, for a lot of more rural fans... Who maybe don't live near the metropolis. You know, who, not even a metropolis, who maybe don't even live near just a Minneapolis. And they can't go see, you know, Josh Donaldson. But what they can go see is their single A team with the high draft pick who just came in. And the way you build stars is by having those kids see those players, get an autograph from that teenage kid, and then in five years or three years or however long it takes, see him on the major league team that they follow say hey i met that guy that's how you build a star and they're not doing that anymore and the solution is not to simply shutter the doors on 42 main minor league baseball franchises and non-affiliate them this is a big backfire that's getting a ton of attention on local levels in terms of local government and local news for a lot of these teams that after next year might not have an affiliation and they're going to be left to either uh, join some new league that Major League Baseball has only given very vague answers about what it is and how it would work or simply shut down. We're at a really critical stage here in terms of the Major League Baseball uh, of, its, of Major League Baseball's future. A very critical stage. And instead of discussing things like this and trying to fix these problems, they're dealing with an umpires association who's afraid of uh, computer technology determining balls and strikes. Instead of worrying about how college draft picks are going to be aligned and where they're going to be housed and how how these minor league affiliations are going to work, we're worried about who should take a bullpen cart. And we're worried about uh you know did a pitcher get his pitch in in time before the pitch clock behind the the uh, the outfield wall hit double zero it's not feasible for major league baseball to solve their problems that way it it it, it makes no sense that they they have these it, it's like if you're looking at two people and one has a massive gunshot wound to its stomach and the other has a a hangnail they're taking a cleaver to the hangnail and ignoring the gunshot wound to the stomach it doesn't make any sense they're tackling these problems all wrong. Now every league has problems, but I I think that Major League Baseball would be in the worst spot right now of the four major sports in terms of its future. Like we talked about, they're simply not attracting younger and any new fans. So that's been weighing on me here this winter before baseball is even reconvened, before uh, you know a month away from spring training. Its future, in my mind, is in serious doubt, and I cannot wait to see how this thing plays out uh, in, in, in the next year, really, before the collective bargaining agreement expires. There's a lot of issues that have to be resolved before they can move on. Before we close up shop here, I did uh, want to just quickly address what I'm obsessing over. Now, this it's been a while. Now, this is something that's just going on that I have been... Uh, whether it be pop culture, TV, books, movies, uh, whatever it may be that I've I've been consuming lately and, and been really on my mind lately. And this week, what has been on my mind has been a movie that uh, I have been waiting for for safe to say 15 years. Now, I was young enough in the 90s that I wasn't supposed to watch R-rated movies, obviously. Nine, ten years old, but that didn't stop my brother and I from sneaking through a VHS tape at Sam's Club with my grandmother, claiming that our parents said it was okay if we watched it of the Martin Lawrence and Will Smith star bad boys. And that absolutely shaped the way I watched and consumed movies and began to love action movies. Eight years later, Bad Boys 2 came out, which was like Bad Boys 1 on steroids with a comic book villain instead of an actual human villain. Still, high points abound. I loved it for all of its critical thrashing it received in 2003. I absolutely adore Big Bad Boys 2 to this day. Watched it last week, still holds up in all of its uh, testosterone, uh, steroid ridden glory. It's still fantastic. Well, it took 17 years to get off the ground, but finally the third film in this series, Bad Boys for Life, came out, and boy, did it live up to expectations. My God, you don't expect much for a January action movie after a 17-year delay between films in the series, but this thing not only delivered, I would say it over-delivered. Brought back a lot of the original cast and sprinkled in a lot of the new cat, a lot of uh, a new cast, which I think was important. Now, being uh, an old man essentially in this body, whenever I see something like that, whether it be a sequel or a threequel, and you see, you know, part of a new crew joining in with the old guys, you kind of cringe, and you end up seeing the movie, and you're like, "Well, I didn't really like them, or I didn't really want them there. They didn't really add anything to it for me." But in this case, that's not true. The new young cast, Alexander Ludwig, Vanessa Hudgens, uh, just a fantastic addition to Bad Boys 3, really made the it, it a little better and was able to play off of the old detective couple, uh, the buddy cops, if you will, and the new age type of police work using a lot of computers and technology. Really played off it beautifully. Bad Boys 3, more than lived up to my expectations, may very well be the best of the series, of all three, I cannot wait for number four. If you're an action movie aficionado, if you saw the first two movies and you're on the fence about seeing this, don't be. Get on the right side of the fence. Be sure go see Bad Boys for Life in theaters as it racks up money on its way to, hopefully, very soon, I get to see Bad Boys number four, and I don't have to wait another eight years or 17 years for the next one in that series. Well, that's all we have for this week, this episode on Sports Tate. Again, thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for waiting out the very, very long delay uh, in in between episodes. Glad to have everybody back. lot to get to in coming episodes. I would love having the interaction. Follow us on Twitter. Well, me specifically at KPAFF3587 at Stephen Kyle for the main podcast account. We're also on Facebook at Stephen Kyle and Instagram at Stephen Kyle. Call or text your hot takes and your comments to 424-30-SK-POD. That's right, Rate Your Take. We'll be back hopefully in the next episode, so start dropping those. We're starting the new year, 2020, with a clean slate for Rate Your Take. So all the old ones, if I didn't get to them, I'm sorry. I wiped them off the board. We're moving on to new Rate Your Take, so drop those on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Steve and Kyle, or preferably a text or a voicemail to four two four three zero sk pod. That's four two four three zero seven five seven six three. So I can rate your take in an upcoming episode. That's all we got this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.